I'm told that possibly you're, you might have been given forms that uh, may have announced the season already. So we're going to do this little game where we all pretend we don't know what the season is. <laughs> and every time we announce a new title, you pretend you didn't know. <laughs> all right? Yes, we're all going to do this? Yes! All right, so we have a lot, as you heard, we have a lot to cover, so let's get started. The first show of our 215 subscription series on the main stage, doesn't that sound fancy? <laughs> is a world premiere from one of our past resident playwrights, Marshall Taylor. Um, like, like he did with his ovation award winning Triassic Park, Marshall will join us as creator and director of it's already up there you had it in your shape. Wait for it. <laughs> Wait for it. Blockness a new musical! The worst part is we put out the audition notice like last week. <laughs> so it's been like online for like, you know. Uh, so, but I know so just the guys are so good. Eric Marchese is here. He's going to write a really good review on your <laughs> Okay, so at this time, please help me recognize our executive producer for this show, Mary Kay Feinberg. She served as executive producer of the Ovation winner Triassic Park, the musical, an associate producer of the West Coast premiere of Nerve, the Ovation-nominated Rooms, a rock romance, and the current Ovation-nominated Lissa Strata-Jones. Aside from having the Midas touch, she's also the chair of our board. Mary Kay, please stand up and take your bow. a new musical for the last couple of years through our OTR reading series. For those of you who have missed it, Loch Ness is a musical about young Haley Westbrook, who's mourning the recent death of her mother and hates that she's been forced to tag along on her father's research expedition in Loch Ness. A heartwarming story with wonder, magic, and humor, along with Marshall's exciting and rich score, this story is about loss, friendship, family, and a flying dinosaur. <laughs> <laughs> now, for the scene from the show, help me welcome our performers, Jillian Bat and Katie Brown. <laughs> Having just chased her pet frog off the edge of her father's boat, Haley finds that she's not standing on water, but something much more solid and much more alive. <laughs> Dusk in the middle of Loch Ness. The mist is high, obscuring a view of the water. We see an image float on, Haley, who is sitting atop something covered by the mist. Mud Pie, her pet frog, sits beside her. Please, God, let me be spared. They tell us the appearance is sometimes deceiving. No doubt here we have a model case. The mist starts to parch, revealing that Haley is sitting atop a giant reptilian head. Nessie's face is barely visible. Don't tell me that seems the same as believing. No doubt what we have here is not a face. What's it look like, me ours? Ah! I am. So, no, I mean, 
some sort of magic? Not that I know of. So you're not going to eat me then? How would I even begin such an undertaking? Oh, I don't know. But better safe than eating, that's what my mum told me once. <laughs> and side, it's been so long since I've been big, I forgot how it works. Since you've been big? Sometimes I'm big and sometimes I'm small. I go back and forth like, like a slinky. <laughs> <laughs> you mean you coil and uncoil? I guess not. I've never seen a slinky before. What are they like? <laughs> I... This is impossible. It's all impossible. Oh, poo-poo impossible. That's what my mum told me when I told her I could fly, you know. I I'm sorry, fly? You told your mum you could fly? Aye. And she says to me, hey, you know you can't. That's a paraphrase, but you know you get the gist. <laughs> you cannot fly. Aye, that's what she says. And I says,
<laughs> in fact, if you saw the production in 4,000 Miles at SER, then you'll appreciate knowing that the elderly character of Vera shows up in both these plays. All right, so at this time, please help me recognize our associate producer for the show, Laurie Stoudy. Associate producer, and she also serves on our board of directors. Lori, please take a bow. <laughs> Lori and I are going to get some cock tomorrow, right? Yeah, we're seeing a show called Cock in LA. Uh, we've been playing that joke all month. <laughs> like all month. That's After the Revolution is about a young, brilliant Emma Joseph, who proudly carries the torch of her family's Marxist tradition by devoting her life to the memory of her famously blacklisted grandfather. When history reveals a shocking truth about the man himself, the entire family is forced to confront questions of honesty and allegiance they thought had been long resolved. After the Revolution is a bold and hilarious moving portrait of a Jewish-American family forced to reconcile a thorny and delicate legacy. Help me welcome back Crystal, joined by Andrew Puente from In the Heights, and Cameron Zellinger from this year's Lissasar Jones Passion Play, and She Loves Me. This scene takes us early into the play to the home of Emma and Miguel as they share a private moment of calm before the storm. Emma's apartment late at night. Emma and Miguel are mid-conversation. Your mom didn't make it? Are you kidding? She has chronic migraines and gas is expensive and it's Monday, so of course not. Mel asked for your address so that she can send you her monthly newsletter about responsible consumerism. Sorry. And my dad wanted me to convey to you reading in Spanish, but I refused. He says, congratulations on graduating. Well, his Spanish is probably better than mine. So. His Spanish is most definitely not better. What is that? No. He has produced a wrapped item. Just a little. We agreed. It didn't really cost anything. I didn't know free presents were allowed. Will you please open it? I feel very betrayed. <laughs> she opens it. It's a framed picture. For our new office. Miguel. Because I didn't think the decor should be left up to you, no offense. And I thought he should be up there. Where did you get it? You, know, you can just write in to The Times. They have this archive, they'll send you a print of any... It's because it's what they ran when he, was, when he testified. It's so weird to see him without his glasses. Especially toward the end, he had these thick, like, magnifying glasses on his... He just looks so vulnerable. If you don't like it. No. Because I know it memorializes, like, the worst day in his life. But I thought it would be good to, you know, to honor that. But I completely understand I it. I love it. She kisses him. I can't wait to tell my dad and Mel you did this. What? Nothing. I just want to meet them. I know. I want you to meet them, too. So? So I'm just picturing my dad wearing his Che t-shirt. And, and Mel saying over and over that you have an amazing face. <laughs> and I know you'll rise above it, but I'll just be humiliated, that's all. What will I rise above? Seriously? Yeah. Um, the insidious brand of leftist racism in my family? You're saying they're going to be welcoming to me. <laughs> that is an understatement. And I should take that to be racist. <laughs> Do you think I'm being racist? I think you're throwing that word around. <laughs> I'm just so surprised you haven't remarked on this kind of thing before. If every time a white person was nice to me, I thought it was racism? <laughs> I've a pretty dark life, Emma. <laughs> hey, stay with me. Sorry. I've just been fighting off the feeling all day that lunch with your parents was like an unmitigated disaster, and you haven't said anything about it yet, so... What? No, no. Tell me the truth. The restaurant was loud. It was hard to hear each other. And they basically never said a word. So I was essentially yelling across the table for an hour and a half about, I don't even know what about. I don't 
told you they're shy at first. Yeah, but... What? You could have helped me out. I mean, you were like Silent Sid over there. Silent Sid? Why weren't you talking? I, I don't know. I just felt kind of down. My parents were, I, I think they thought it was going to be some kind of corny culmination of immigrant dreams, you know? Oldest son graduates from top law school. And it was cold and boring, and their camera ran out of batteries. And <laughs> I told you, they're not totally thrilled about me taking this job. No, you didn't. I didn't? Oh, uh, well, it's not anything you should worry about, but from their perspective, it's like, I took out all these loans, and now I'm making $30,000 a year working for my gringa girlfriend. <laughs> Ouch. But I don't want you to worry about it. Okay, sure. <laughs> Absolutely. I'll just put it completely out of my mind. Emma. No, that makes me feel terrible. Of course it does. Well, it's not up to them. I'm doing what I believe in. Maybe three years ago, I didn't know what I believed in, and now I do. If they can't be proud of that, that's their problem. So I guess it wasn't the smoothest move on my part to monologue endlessly about the fun. Oh, uh, also, with my dad's business, he's pretty tight with the local police, so the fact that our primary goal is to exonerate an accused cop killer, that's like the icing on the cake. Miguel! <laughs> what? You have to tell me these things! I'm awesome with parents! That's one of my primary characteristics. I can't believe you'll be screwed that up. We'll go out to New Brunswick, spend the night, they'll get to know you, and they'll love you. So it was a disaster. No! No! <laughs> Hey, at least you got to meet mine. I'm going to see my dad tomorrow before he goes back to Boston, and I'd invite you. Right. But no, no, no. He, but he says he has something, quote unquote, important to tell me. It doesn't seem like an ideal moment. What do you think it is? I'm sure it's about Jess. I know this makes me a terrible sister, but I just don't have the energy anymore. If she's back in rehab, I don't know why you can't just tell me that on the phone. Do I sound callous? Yes. I'm just ready for her to stop torturing my dad. She's put him through so much. Listen, just be patient with me. If you didn't absolutely love him, it would be really tough on me. I don't want you to think that I haven't been listening. But I really want to kiss you right now. Can I do that? They kiss. Thank you, Crystal, Andrew, and Cameron. Uh, since I'm sure you're now tired of my voice, uh, I'd now like to bring up someone else to announce the third show in the series, which is the first show announced on the second stage, which I hope will be finished on time. <laughs> Please welcome the director of the Ovation Award-winning musical, Jerry Springer, the opera, and this year's epic journey that was passion play, Trevor Bishop. told me about cock. I think we, we need to have a talk after that. <laughs> I'm sorry, this is a serious event. <laughs> so this afternoon, let me do this. There we go. This afternoon, I have the honor to introduce two new plays in the Chances 2015 season. They are both written by thoughtful, exciting new voices in the American theater. I read these two beautiful plays in the last two weeks, and I told on if every moment in the season is as spectacular as these two plays, the season will be an embarrassment of riches. But I digress. The first, a West Coast premiere opening the chances second stage, is a heartbreaking comedy, or is it hilarious tragedy? By the 2015 resident playwright Lauren Yee, Samsara. Greg are the ideal American couple, living the best of times in their perfect life. They're affluent, they are successful, they live in California. 
and they're expecting from a surrogate in India. No, 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 not Indio next to Palm Springs. India. Craig has to go to India to get the baby, and that baby talks. But Katie has to stay home. Here, this magical play veers into the unbelievable realities of surrogacy in our modern world. Lauren's play is as theatrically surprising as it is honest. In it, Frenchmen, flight, fetuses, and iPhones combine in the most unexpected ways. They do. <laughs> to ask the question, what is the price we pay to chase our perfect life? Let me welcome back Crystal and resident artists Laura Hathaway, Rob Foran, and Casey Long. Laura most recently appeared in The Secret Garden last season. Rob and Casey both appeared in this year's Passion Play and will be revising, or reprising, I should say, their roles in the eight reindeer monologues. In the scene, Katie is home alone. Her husband, Craig, is in India, meeting their surrogate, Soraya. As Katie tries to focus on work, loneliness begins to seep into her thoughts and her fantasies. Katie's living room. Katie sits at the coffee table with a pile of work. She psychs herself up. Commence work. From out of nowhere, a disembodied hand drops a DVD into Katie's lap. She looks at it and successfully multitasking. <laughs> Katie pops the DVD into the DVD player. She starts to work, then turns up the volume on the remote. The disembodied hand rises from the back of the couch, then an arm and a torso. It is a Frenchman who magically plays an accordion with one hand and smokes with the other. <laughs> <laughs> What we little boys do. Thank heaven. Katie's phone rings. Craig appears. Thank heaven. The phone rings again. Thank heaven. Oh, Just another three weeks. And if you get lonely, 
text me, and it'll be like I'm right there. Only you're not. Sir, Soraya or Soraya? Did you ask her? Well, we haven't officially met. She was in that video. Well, that's why I say officially. But how do you know the baby's okay if you haven't even talked to her? Well, I'm sure they're both fine. Don't worry, Katie. Just, just get some sleep. Yeah. It's just, every time I fall asleep, I dream of you and the baby. And that worries you? And the baby, she's Indian. <laughs> Indian. You're in a place, and it changes you forever. So, India's gonna rub off on her? It's ridiculous, I know. Look, 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 look. if there's something to worry about, I'll do it, okay? And you'll send more videos? And I'll send more videos. Or I'll try, the internet is so slow. <laughs> is it that slow? Yes, it's very slow. <laughs> said that Lauren Yee, uh, the playwright Sarah, Lauren Yee will be our 2015 resident playwright. Uh, Lauren's already making a splash in the American theater landscape. Her play The Hatmaker's Wife was an Outer Critics Circle nominee for Best Play by New American Playwright. Ching Chong Chinaman was picked as the top 10 play of the year by City Pages and East Bay Express. And Crevice was a Bay Area Theater Critics Circle nominee for Best Play. And now for show number four, appearing on the main stage, Let's hear from my cohort of nine shows, including this year's In the Heights. She just received her fourth Ovation Award nomination for Best Choreography for Lissa Stride Jones, longtime resident artist Kelly Todd. Without further ado, <laughs> I am here to give a surprise announcement of our summer musical, which will be Hairspray. Uh, I'm very excited. I will be working on this show along with Robin and Carrie. Carrie will be directing, Robin music directing, and we're the same team that brought you Bloody Bloody Andrew Jackson a couple of years back. Um, I've been really wanting to get my hands on Hairspray because I remember so clearly when I first got my tickets to see it in New York and the very first thing is I ran out and got the Broadway cast recording and just started listening to it and listening to it. And there were two songs in it um, that really, really, uh, I always cried when I heard them. And one of them is the finale, You Can't Stop the Beat. Just to hear these people celebrating who they are authentically, it broke my heart every time. But I had a disconnect when I saw the show live. I'm not exactly sure why, but I think it was so, sort of the spectacle and how colorful the show can be that it, you just feel joyful and happy. And not that I'm trying try to make you sad, <laughs> but I am interested in the meat, that original piece of the connection to that music that I had, and what does that mean for the way we're going to tell Hairspray. Um, Carrie could not be here tonight in her words. She says, Hairspray is a fun and important story about acceptance, opportunity, and the power of change. By embracing and celebrating the colorful world, world of the 1960s, Hairspray's story is one that boldly challenges discrimination, segregation, and the relationships that surround it. Through the inspiring determination of Tracy Turnblad, we are reminded about these issues that still resonate today. And at this time, I'd like to introduce Ashley Nelson and Robin Mannion, welcoming back Robin on piano. Joining her is Ashley Nelson, who has appeared in Bloody Bloody, The Secret Garden, and Lissa Strada Jones. In the song, Good Morning Baltimore, Tracy is trapped in jail and separated from her new boyfriend, Link. This is the reprise. 
Tracy searches for any opportunity to share her dreams and talents with the world with hopes to be heard and make a difference. treasure on the board and Sophie has been an indispensable consultant our capital campaign. Once again, Larry and Sophie, please stand up and take your back. <laughs> Show number five, appearing on the second stage. Let's bring up the director of OC Weekly's best play of 2010, The Gate or Who is Sylvia, and last year's Time Stand Still, which won a scene for best drama. Lady and gents, Mario Mazur. show is a Southern California premiere by one of the hottest voices in the American theater. She is currently Baltimore Center Stage's resident playwright, also a Kilroy's List playwright and an O'Neill finalist. This is Jenny Connell Davis's Dragon Play. In rural Texas, a teenage boy and a dragon fall in love. A thousand miles north, a woman's fragile marriage is tested when her fire-breathing ex-lover arrives at her doorstep. These seemingly disparate threads are woven together in surprising and elegant ways in Dragon Play, a poetic meditation on love, longing, and letting go. Give you a sneak peek of Dragon Play. Let's bring back out Cameron and Crystal. And joining them is Gasper Gray, who appeared in Bloody Bloody Andrew Jackson in West Side Story. Here we travel back into the past to witness a very significant meeting. An unnamed boy trekking out to the fields outside town, comes across someone sitting up high on a rock. Someone dark, mysterious, and definitely not human.
Boy enters, sees dragon, stops cold. A dragon? How did you see me? You're right there. But you recognized me. You have wings <laughs> and scales and a tail. I could be a dinosaur. <laughs> Dinosaurs don't talk. <laughs> What's wrong with you? Nothing. Humans can't see me. Humans only see what they understand. Maybe I'm smart. Maybe for a human. <laughs> what are you doing here? It's a secret. What kind of secret? The kind I don't tell nosy little boys. He starts to leave. Fine. Wait! If I tell you, what will you give me? Boy digs around in his pockets. He pulls out a very dirty object. What's that? It's a treasure. <laughs> give it here. Boy throws it to Dragon Girl. She licks it, rubs it. It's a quarter. <laughs> Dragons don't sell their secrets for spare change. Secrets are for chosen ones. Secrets are gifts to be traded and treasured. Well, I don't have any. None worth telling. A story, then. Like a story story? Yes. Um... Once upon a time, I don't know anything. You must have won. <laughs> no, I, I don't. I. Once upon a time, there was a boy. Every day he rode his bicycle along the tracks to the desert, to the place where his father used to build flying machines. On the other side of the fence, there were these huge sheds just waiting. And the boy? waited to. For what? For something to happen. Your turn. Why are you here? I'm on a, what do you call it, layover. <laughs> here? Why not? It's just, no one stops here unless they're lost. I'm not lost. <laughs> Dragons don't get lost. I'm having mechanical difficulties. <laughs> Inside the circle, you'll be safe. Where did you learn that? <laughs> I don't know, I made it up. <laughs> Dragon Girl jumps. She lands safely. She spreads her wings. One is broken. You're hurt. I'll heal. Your story. What happened next? End of scene. Producers for Dragonfly, Scott and Sandra Graham. They just recently served as social producers of their very first show, Maple and Vine, and Scott and Sandra Graham, take your bow again. 
Sorry, how did you get back in the building? Oh, I, it's silly. I just hide in the silk flower section right before closing. <laughs> no one seems to notice when I don't leave with them. I don't know. How did you get back in? Fabric section. <laughs> <laughs> Adventurous Bear. In fact, they're hiking as we speak among the Sequoias in King Canyon National Park. 
This will be their third show as executive producers. Previously, uh, help me thank Todd and Linda White. And this year, she loves me. We're sorry they can't be with us here today, but we know they are here with us in spirit. Okay, that's your six shows, everyone. <laughs> For our holiday series, which wasn't on your forms, I know you don't know this one, um, but uh, but you may have guessed it. So the two shows we are doing in a holiday series are we're bringing back Anna Green Gable. <laughs> For this 12th season, Kate Rainumala. Uh, I don't know if you've heard what we're doing this year, so you guys already know. Like we have so many cast members who know the Rainumala because it's a different cast every night. But this year, what we're doing is we're going to give the audience coal in their stocking, uh, made out of a black sock, and you can buy more if you run out. Because during the show, anytime you feel they're being too naughty throw the black sock at them. <laughs> I'm not kidding. Okay, now I'm going to bring up our education director to announce our Theater for Young Audience series. Aside from running his uh, this year's Speak Up program, he also directed our productions of Teresa Can and History of American Film, which was nominated for the OC Weekly Theater Award for Best Musical. Put your hands together for Mr. Daryl Holvis. Exciting to be here. We are very excited about our about this microphone. <laughs> We're very excited about our uh, launching of the Theater for Young Audience series, and we have three shows. Our first show, we're going to follow a young girl as she falls down a hole in Alice in Wonderland. <laughs> this will be on the second stage, and as you know. Alice in Wonderland is about a young girl who chases a white rabbit down a hole and encounters a wondrous world filled with strange creatures like the Mad Hatter. Well, that's a person, actually, but it could be a creature. Cheshire Cat, uh, the Caterpillar, and very strange people such as the Queen of Hearts, the Mad Hatter. And it will also feature characters usually not dramatized like the Pigeon and the Nanny in the Duchess Kitchen. But on a deeper level, Alice is really about a young girl trying to search for her identity and trying to adapt in a grown-up's world where the rules make no sense, and sometimes that's exactly how I feel. And I think I've already grown up, but I actually haven't. So, I'm very excited, and that's our first show of the season. For the second show, and on the main stage, we are excited to bring the musical Fancy Nancy. <laughs> Adapted from the best-selling uh, book series by Jane O'Connor, we're going to see Nancy and her friends as they try to put up the first musical deep sea dances. At this point, I would like to welcome back Crystal, Robin, and Jillian, and it's my pleasure to bring up a very classy lady, Chance's founding resident artist, Erica C. Miller. Erica has been nominated for a Garland Award for her performance in Cabaret and two Ovation Awards for her costume designs of The Who's Tommy and Hair. Make sure you come back and bring your friends to see her and she loves me during the holidays. In this scene, Nancy has found out that her best friend Brie has just been chosen to play the starring role in their upcoming ballet recital as a beautiful mermaid. Jealous and upset, Nancy vows to put her dancing days behind her. She takes off her own very fancy mermaid costume, folds it gently in tissue paper, and hands it to her mother. Here. Can you put this in the attic for me? All the way up there? Why? My mermaid days? Are over. <laughs> oh, Nancy, you're just saying that because you're upset right now. I'm not upset. You're not. No, there's no word bad enough for how I feel in French or English. <laughs> it's like upset only a zillion times worse. I know. I liked it better when neither of us got to be mermaids. I'm a terrible girl. Why do you say that? 
I lied to Bree. I said I was happy for her. And I'm not. <laughs> That's not lying exactly. You want to be happy for Bree, don't you? Of course. She is my best friend. It's just hard now because Bree got something you wanted very much. show for the TYA series on the second stage and kind of in time for the holiday season. Good time to announce this. Very excited to bring the Legends of Sleepy Hollow. <laughs> did you know, did you know that we may not know what the real story is, but rather than me tell you about it, I'm going to bring up somebody who is a, uh, a former past resident of the Chance Theater, and his name is Jonathan Josephson. And a little bit about Jonathan, he's an old friend of the Chance, whose work has appeared here both in short form as part of variations on the theme, The Best, and long form with the world premiere of The Giant and the Pixie, and he is the writer of The Legends of Sleepy Hollow. show that was under the chance uh, was called Bitches and Cocks, so I don't think that's <laughs> terribly effective. Um, we have to be back here at the chance. Um, it's been a few years, but uh, seeing so many familiar faces is really lovely to be here. 
Um, and yeah, I have a, a note for the slide projector designer over here. What we're going to do later this season is not the legend of Sleepy Hollow, it's the legends of Sleepy Hollow, as Daryl said. Um, I adapted the legend of Sleepy Hollow, uh, Washington Irving's story for my theater company, Unbound Productions. We do shows in alternative venues like mausoleums and cemeteries. It was a half hour show, it was a lot of fun, it was kind of spooky, but it always left me a little unresolved. Um, there's a character in the original story that I just find fascinating. Um, he's charismatic and loving, and he has no lines, um, and I thought that it was important that his story is told. So, The Legends of Sleepy Hollow is about an hour long. The first half is the traditional story. The second half is narrated by Ichabod Crane's horse, Gunpowder, <laughs> who steps forward from behind the shadows and at long last tells you what really happened that fateful night between Ichabod Crane um, and, uh, and the Headless Horseman. So, uh, I'm so thrilled to be here. Um, it's going to be a lot of fun working on this play as its world premiere, and I hope that you enjoy it. Come back next October.